This is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budget, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow, all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Head to NetSuite.com slash C-Suite for special end-of-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. This is E-Factor Radio, created by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. And now here's your host, David Wolf. Welcome to E-Factor. I'm David Wolf. On this edition, we're joined by William Robbins. He's a partner of Keystone Law and specializes in helping early stage companies commercialize their products and raise investment capital for larger businesses to assist them with acquisitions and disposals. Over the year, he's acted for companies of all sizes on deals ranging from 50000 on up to £2 billion in value. Joining us on the line from their headquarters in London to talk about non-disclosure agreements and what they are, how they work, is William Robbins. He's a partner at Keystone Law. William, welcome to the program. Hi, David. Nice to be here. So when we talk about non-disclosure documents, what are some of the, the issues that you find that your clients just don't understand about how to use these? Well, David, I'm glad you asked me that because I think there are two main myths that I hear the whole time about NDAs. Um, the first one is that any entrepreneur will tell you they're not worth the paper they're written on, um, but not necessarily understanding what we're actually talking about. Uh, and the second one is they don't really understand when and how to use them. So I think it would be quite useful to really kind of bust those apart um, and to look at the details. So what is an NDA? It's what it says on the tin. It's a non-disclosure agreement or a confidentiality undertaking by a party receiving information in relation to the information it is receiving. Um, and also, um, when are you going to be using these sorts of things? You're going to be using them at the point that you're considering giving information to the disclosing party. So very clearly, up to that point, if you've got confidential information, you need carefully to consider whether you should be disclosing it at all, and if so, how. You can ask as many questions as you want of the other side, um, because you see, once something's public, it's very hard to make it private again. So ask questions first, disclose later. But when you do disclose, and at that time, that's when you need one of these documents, because they are enforceable, they are legally binding, and you don't just have to worry about your own budget and lack of funds because don't forget if we're talking about a situation where 
um, you're receiving investment, for example, from a third party, and, and you're therefore disclosing information about your company, and that's the reason for a non-disclosure agreement. For every investor you talk to, or rather for every 10 investors you talk to, the chances are nine, maybe 9.5 of them on average, are not going to invest in your company. So the guy that does invest in your company, he is also buying the right to keep the other 10, 20, 30 investors from misusing your confidence information. So it's not just about your right to sue on it. It's about the right of your investors potentially as well. That's fascinating. What are some of the common situations that we might uh, elect to use or you would uh, recommend the use of an NDA? Well, David, you, you, whenever the confidential information is being disclosed, that's when you'd want to protect it. And confidential information is disclosed in any number of ways. Um, most commonly, it tends to be in a commercial circumstance. So, for example, you're having an application or some kind of web development done for you in a, in a low-cost economy. Um, you're going to tell that developer a whole host of things about your business, your business ideas, and your new products. That's sensitive confidential information, you could use it there. Um, for example, as we just discussed earlier, you might be seeking investment. The investor is going to want to really kick the tires on your business. That's confidential information that you would want to protect. Um, but it can go much wider than that. It could be that you're taking on a consultant, you're taking on um, maybe even just a customer or a supplier relationship, particularly if something is bespoke for you. Um, or it could even be that you're, um, you want to move into some new premises um, and you're giving a landlord confidential information about the spec of something that you need in relation to your office. So essentially, you can ask yourself a test is, if you'd like it to appear, or rather, if you'd like it not to appear on the front page of Google, then it's confidential. So how are you going to protect it? If you're just joining us, we're visiting with William Robbins. He's an attorney at the firm Keystone Law, located in London, www.keystonelaw.co.uk. I should ask, as we're uh, drilling down into this process, the idea around using uh, non-disclosure documents, you're based in London and you deal in the UK. Are the laws different? I mean, how do we fold in what we're talking about here into, let's say, a US-based company? Okay, yes. Um, laws are jurisdiction and geographic specific. So if there are listeners on the line now um, in, and, and they're based in the States, this is probably not relevant to them unless they're doing business in the UK. So, for example, if your investors are in the UK and they are requiring you to contract under English law, then this is a relevance for you. But if your business is in, let's say, the States and your investors are in the States, then you would do this under US law. And a lot of the commercial realities will still apply and the document will be quite similar but it won't be identical and you should consult a u.s attorney um, for um, u.s legal advice but there's an interesting point that you've raised there um, about a, a truly international business with um, hubs in three or four different locations um, it's got a choice it's what's generally called jurisdiction shopping um, and you can take the governing law of any any country that you like, uh, providing both parties agree to it and the document says that both parties agree to it, then that's fine. Uh, in England, it's a well-established um, doctrine 
And consequently, you could have a party in the States, you could have a party in, let's say, Russia. They elect for English law because um, it's simple, um, it's very clear, uh, and access to justice in the UK and the court system is relatively inexpensive compared to the rest of the world, and it's, and it's considered extremely reliable, um, and English lawyers tend to be everywhere. Um, so there are three good reasons why, even if there's no obvious nexus to the UK, um, English law would and could still apply. Okay, terrific. Let's drill down into the, the elements of a non-disclosure under English law. What does an NDA say? What are the key elements? Okay. Well, um, any document that you're looking at is going to be anywhere between one and three pages, and it's going to split up into a number of rights and obligations. The obligations are going to be on the party receiving the information, not to disclose it and to treat it in a particular way, and the party giving the information, it's going to have the benefit of those obligations, so the right not to have its information disclosed, the right to protect it, the right to inspect it. So, as you said, drilling down. So, the first clause in there is going to describe the parties and it's going to be the, the information provider or the discloser and then the other party will be the information recipient or the disclosee. Now sometimes you may find that information is passing two ways. Think of a commercial agreement where somebody is bespoking a service for you. They're telling you about what they can do and that's confidential um, and you're having the service delivered to you so you're telling them about how you want it and how that interacts with your future business. In that situation you're both disclosing parties and information receiving parties. So in that case, you probably have what's called a mutual document where, where the rights go backwards and forwards. But let's just stick with a simple example. So two parties, one person giving the information, the other person receiving that. Great. So the key obligation in there is going to be for that information to be kept confidential. So what are we talking about? We, we need to drill down on what the subject of the confidential information is. See, under UK law, you can't have... The that defined too widely. If you start including in there information that is plainly not confidential, what it does is it taints the whole document and it means that it doesn't have any effect. Confident information that is not confidential by trying to keep it confidential wrecks the confidentiality of the genuinely confidential information. That's and that's a, yeah. that's a that's a big mistake um, that many businesses try to fall in. So you need to define it. So, for example, the confidential information may be uh, the documents that you put in a particular hard copy file or a particular shared um, web serviced file through something like Google Docs or a secure version of that. Um, maybe the index of what's in there, that's confidential information. It's clear. Everybody knows what it is, where it is. Um, and and they are genuine documents with a confidential nature to them. Simply to say, for example, it's everything that we're going to talk about during the course of this transaction is too wide. It just wouldn't work. So you need to define what information is in fact confidential. Exactly. And you need to be able to read in the definition, then to point at it. And for everything, you either know if it's in the definition or if it's out. Gray areas, you're just going to assume that it, you have to take the alternative view. So if you wanted to keep it confidential, you just have to assume it's probably not because you failed to um, define it quite right. Um, and so the next thing then is the nature of the obligation. So take, for example, a situation like 
Coca-Cola say uh, maybe Coca-Cola is going to sell out its recipe. Um, so in a situation like that, it would have to find somebody with enough money to buy it, admittedly. But an investor would be coming in, would look at the recipe for Coke. Now, the reason the investor is looking at that recipe is with a view to buying it. So the permitted purpose with which Coke is going to be giving that investor the information, the underlying recipe, will be to diligence whether it wants to buy Coke. Not because it might wish to replicate that recipe and start manufacturing itself. So what this brings into is it feeds into the concept of the permitted purpose. So the confidential information is given by the disclosing party to the receiving party for a permitted purpose. And, and you need to set out what that is. So it's, it's due diligence. Um, it depends what, the, do, what the, the document is for, what the NDA is for. So if it's an acquisition, as I've just discussed, it's for the investor to due diligence and decide whether he wants to proceed with the transaction. If it's a commercial situation, it's for the other party to decide whether their commercial services are appropriate or how they can bespoke their services. But it's very important, as I hope that little Coke example gives you, to say why you're giving this information to the other party, what they can do with it, and what they can't do with it. And then that starts to feed into the obligations themselves. So the primary obligation will be to keep it confidential. But what about advisors? Can, can that information be shared with advisors? Can it be stored? Can it be backed up? Can it be circulated? Can it be printed? After a particular period of time, does it have to be shredded or destroyed? What happens, for example, if they make notes about that information? Are the notes themselves confidential? Or because they're a second generation type of information, are they themselves not confidential? How do you decide? If it's a gray area, take the take the contrary view. Um, so therefore, that will let you think you don't want to have any gray areas there because you're not going to be protected. Have we drilled down sufficiently or is there more to talk about in terms of the structure and the, the content of an NDA? Well, I mean, these documents, despite the fact that there are only three or four pages, there is an awful lot in there. Um, I mean, you can talk about the flow of information, how it's going to get from the disclosing party to the party receiving it, how they then have to hold that, whether it has to be on a completely remote, secure, um, separate PC, whether that could be networked. You can deal with all kinds of things. And, and if you're a sophisticated individual, you are going to want to really make sure that that information is confidential. If you just talking in an ordinary commercial environment, then you use wording, for example, to say that um, the receiving party will treat the information as they treat their own confidential information. Uh, it's not quite so legally exact, but at least in a court of law, you'd be able to get through to that. Excellent. Clearly, you know, they're not going to, your own confidential information, you're not going to leave that on a train or a subway or post it on your home screen. And it gets to the general concept there. So I think that's probably, without going into the drafting, that's probably enough that I think the listeners would want to look at. All right, terrific. I, I had a sense that was the case. If I have it right, you're working with uh, eFactor uh, to, to help develop some of these kinds of services. Do I have that right, William? Yeah, David, you're exactly right. Um, Marion of eFactor and I met up a couple of weeks ago, um, and essentially she was saying to me, um, we have a number of members, hundreds of thousands in the States and tens of thousands in the UK and a rapidly growing network. Um, they're all out there on 
entrepreneurs doing business, growing their businesses, uh, and they have an active drive to have some professional legal support. And the arrangement that we've come up with eFactor is that uh, on a preferred supplier basis, we'd be more than happy to provide that. Initially, what we're doing, and as part of this radio broadcast, is we're making available um, a precedent non-disclosure agreement, which tends to retail um, once it's been bespoke for about £200 on a on a non-bespoke basis, that's going to be made available through eFactor um, for, for direct download for, for just a small fee yet to be set. Wonderful. Wonderful. So working to, uh, directly with eFactor as a partner of preferred suppliers, you say William Robbins has been our guest. The uh, company Keystone Law, the website www.keystonelaw.co. UK, just like it sounds. William, I'm sure we'll do this again. I know that uh, your firm and you have expertise in a variety of areas that are uh, relevant to small business owners, uh, startups, entrepreneurs, and the like. So uh, we appreciate the time today, and thank you for joining us on the program. Thank you very much, David. Thanks for listening to eFactor Radio. Get more podcasts with your premium membership at eFactor.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.